Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. In the Great Khan's Tent now has a Patreon. You can find a link on our website, in the Great Khan's Tent, all lowercase, dot podbean, dot com, once again, in the great constant.podbean.com, all lowercase, on our Twitter account, or you can always email us to send you a link to it. Your support, although not necessary, would be much appreciated to show that you support this podcast. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening. And now on with the show. In this episode, we finally reach the end of the story of the fisherman and the djinn with nights eight and night nine. Within night nine, we also begin one of the more popular stories in the Arabian Nights, that of the porter, the three ladies of Baghdad, and the three dervishes. Here we also encountered the first scientific wording, which refers to bodily autonomy. We also begin to see more references to the Abbasid Caliphate, which will continue within this story as we go along with references to certain personalities in poetry and to items that could be found in Baghdad's marketplace. We will also encounter, in a future episode, personalities directly related to the Abbasid Caliphate, and they will play a role within this story. This episode only contains two nights, as the nights for this part are longer than previous sections. Auzubillah min ash-shaytan nirajim bismillahirrahman nirrahim In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad, and his family, Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued. On the following day, I observed that my cousin had cut off her hair and put on the apparel of mourning. And she said to me, O oh, my cousin, blame me not for what I do. 
For I have received news that my mother is dead, and that my father hath been slain in a holy war, and that one of my two brothers hath died of a poisoned sting, and the other by the fall of a house. It is natural, therefore, that I should weep and mourn. On hearing these words, I abstained from upbraiding her, and said, Do what seemeth fit to thee, for I will not oppose thee. Accordingly, she continued mourning, and weeping, and wailing, for a whole year. After which she said to me, I have a desire to build for myself in thy palace a tomb with a kube, that I may repair hither alone to mourn, and I will call it the house of lamentations. I replied, Do what thou seest fit. So she built for herself a house of mourning, with a kube in the middle of it, like a tomb of a saint, after which she removed hither the slave, and there she lodged him. He was in a state of excessive weakness, and unable to render her any service, though he drank wine, and from the day on which I had wounded him, he had never spoken. Yet he remained alive, because the appointed term of his life had not expired. My cousin every day visited him in his tomb early and late to weep and mourn over him, and took to him wine to drink and boiled meats, and thus she continued to do morning and evening until the expiration of the second year, while I patiently suffered her till one day I entered her apartment unawares, and found her weeping and slapping her face and repeating these verses. I have lost my existence among mankind since your absence, for my heart loveth none but you. Take my body, then, in mercy, to the place where you are laid, and there bury me by your side. And if at my grave you utter my name, the moaning of my bones shall answer your call. She also exclaimed tearfully, Why are you absent from my sight, my heart's delight? Talk to me, O my soul, speak to me, O my darling. She recited, If you have found consolation, love has left me no endurance. My heart loves none but you. Take my bones and my soul with you, wherever you may go, and where you halt, bury me opposite you. Call out my name over my grave, and my bones will moan in answer, hearing the echo of your voice. Then she went on, My wishes are fulfilled on the day I am near you, while the day of my doom is when you turn from me. I may pass the night in fear, threatened with destruction, but union with you is sweeter to me than safety. Next she recited, If every blessing and all this world were mine, together with the empire of the Persian kings. To me this would not be worth a gnat's wing, if my eyes could not look at you. When she had finished speaking and weeping, I said to her, Cousin, that is enough of sorrow, and more weeping will do you no good. Do not try to stop me doing what I must do, she said, for in that case I shall kill myself. I said no more, and left her to do what she wanted, and she went on grieving, weeping, and mourning, for a second year, and then a third. One day I went to her when something had put me out of temper, and I was tired of the violence of her distress. I found her going towards the tomb beneath the dome, saying, Master, I hear no word from you. Master, why don't you answer me? Then she recited, Grave, grave, 
Have the beloved beauties faded? Has the brightness and the radiance gone? Grave, you are neither earth nor heaven for me. So how is it you hold both sun and moon? When I heard what she had said and the lines she recited, I became even angrier than before, and I exclaimed, How long will this sorrow last? Then I recited myself, Grave, grave, has his blackness faded? And has the brightness and the foulness failed? Grave, you are neither basin nor a pot. So how is it you hold charcoal and slime? As soon as I had finished the recitation of these verses, I said to her, holding my drawn sword in my hand, This is the language of those faithless women who renounce the ties of affinity and regard not lawful fellowship. She jumped up and said, Damn you, you dog. It was you who did this to me and wounded my heart's darling. You have caused me pain and robbed him of his youth, so that for three years he has been neither dead nor alive. To which I replied, Dirty whore, filthiest of the fornicators and the prostitutes of slaves. Yes, it was I who did that. She burst out laughing and said, Off you dog. What is past cannot return and the dead cannot rise again. But Allah has given the man who did this to me into my power. Because of him, there has been an unquenchable fire in my heart and a flame that cannot be hidden. I was about to strike her with the sword and had lifted up my arm to do so. But she pronounced some words which I understood not and said, May Allah, by means of my enchantment, make thee to be half stone and half of the substance of man whereupon i became as thou seest unable to move neither dead nor alive and when i had been reduced to this state she enchanted the city and its market and fields the inhabitants of our city were of four classes Muslims and Christians and Jews and Magians, and she transformed them into fish. The white are the Muslims, the red the Magians, the blue the Christians, and the yellow the Jews. She transformed also the four islands into four mountains and placed them around the lake. And from that time she has continued every day to torture me and inflicting upon me a hundred lashes with a leather whip until the blood flows from my wounds. After which she puts on my upper half a west of hair cloth beneath these garments. Having said thus, the young man wept and said the following verses. Give me patience, O Allah, to bear what thou decreest. I will be patient, if so I may obtain thine approval. I am straitened indeed by the calamity that hath befallen me, but the family of the favored Prophet وسلم, shall intercede for me. The young man continued weeping and recited, O my Allah, I must endure your judgment and decree, and if that pleases you, I shall do this. Tyrants have wronged me and oppressed me here, but paradise may be my recompense. My sufferings have left me in sad straits, but Allah's choice as his favored prophet intercedes for me. Upon this, the Sultan, looking towards a young man, said to him, O youth, thou hast increased my anxiety, and where, he added, is this woman? The young man answered, she is in the tomb where the slave is lying. 
in the kube, and every day before she visits him, she strips me of my clothing and inflicts upon me a hundred lashes with the whip, while I weep and cry out, unable to move so as to repulse her. After thus torturing me, she repairs early to the slave with the wine and boiled meat. By Allah, O youth, said the Sultan, I shall do thee an act of kindness for which I shall be remembered, and a favor which historians shall record in a biography after me. He then sat and conversed with him until the approach of night, upon which he arose and waited until the first dawn of the day, when he took off his clothes and slung on his sword and went to the place where the slave lay. After remarking the candles and lamps, and perfumes and ointments he approached the slave and with a blow of his sword slew him he then carried him on his back and threw him into a well which he found in the palace and returning to the kube clad himself with the slave's clothes and lay down with the drawn sword by his side soon the wild enchantress went to her cousin and having pulled off his clothes took the whip and beat him while he cried Ah, is it enough for me to be in this state? Have pity on me then. Didst thou show pity to me, she exclaimed, and didst thou spare my lover? She then put on him the haircloth west and his outer garments, and repaired to the slave with a cup of wine and a bowl of boiled meat. Entering the tomb, she wept and wailed, exclaiming, O oh, my master, answer me, O oh, my master, speak to me, and poured forth her lamentation in the words of this worth. How long shall this aversion and harshness continue? Sufficient is the evil which my passion hath brought upon me. Then, weeping as before, she exclaimed again, O oh, my master, answer me, and speak to me. She also recited, How long will you turn away? treating me roughly. Have I not shed tears enough for you? How do you intend abandoning me? If your object is the envious, the envy has been cured. Upon this, the Sultan, speaking in a low voice and adapting his tongue to the pronunciation of the slave, said, Ah, ah, there is no strength nor power but in Allah. On hearing these words, she screamed with joy and fell down in a swoon, and when she recovered, she exclaimed, Possibly my master is restored to health. The sultan, again lowering his voice, as if from weakness, replied, Thou profligate wretch, thou deservest not that I should address thee. Wherefore, she said, he answered, Because all the day long, Thou tormentest thy husband while he calleth out and implore the aid of Allah, so that thou hast prevented my sleeping from the commencement of darkness until morning. Thy husband hath not ceased to humble himself and to imprecate vengeance upon thee, till he hath distracted me, and had it not been for this, I had recovered my strength, and this is what hath prevented my answering thee. Then, with thy permission, she replied, I will liberate him from his present sufferings. Liberate him, said the Sultan, and give us ease. She replied, I hear and obey, and immediately arose, and went out from the Kube to the palace, and taking a cup, filled it with water, and pronounced certain words over it, upon which it began to boil like a cauldron. She then sprinkled some of it upon her cousin, saying, 
by virtue of what I have uttered, be changed from thy present state to that which thou was at first. And instantly he shook and stood upon his feet, rejoicing in his liberation, and exclaimed, I testify that there is no deity but Allah, and that Muhammad is Allah's apostle. God bless and save him. So then she said to him, Depart and return not hither, for I will kill thee. And she cried out in his face. So he departed from her. And she returned to Kube and said, O my master, come forth to me that I may behold thee. He replied with a weak voice, What hast thou done? Thou hast relieved me from the branch, but hast not relieved me from the root. O my beloved, she said, and what is the root? He answered, The people of the city and of the four islands, every night at the middle hour, the fish raise their heads and imprecate vengeance upon me and upon thee, and this is the cause that preventeth the return of vigor to my body. Therefore liberate them, and come, and take my hand, and raise me, for vigor hath already in part returned to me. On hearing these words of the Sultan, whom she imagined to be the slave, she said to him with joy, O my master, on my head and my eye, in the name of Allah. And she sprang up, full of happiness, and hastened to the lake, where, taking a little of its water, she pronounced over it some unintelligible words, whereupon the fish became agitated and raised their heads, and immediately became converted into men as before. Thus was the enchantment removed from the inhabitants of the city, and the city became repeopled, and the market streets re-erected, and everyone returned to his occupation. The mountains also became changed into islands as they were at first. The enchantress then returned immediately to the sultan, whom she still imagined to be the slave, and said to him, O my beloved, stretch forth thy honored hand, that I may kiss it. Approach me, said the sultan in a low voice. So she drew near him, and he, having his keen-edged sword ready in his hand, thrust it into her bosom, and the point protruded from her back. He then struck her again, and clove her in twain, and went forth. Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Night 9 Then, when it was the ninth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shanshah, he had found the young man who had been enchanted waiting his return, and congratulated him on his safety and the young prince kissed his hand and thanked him. The sultan then said to him, Will thou remain in thy city, or come with me to my capital? O sultan of the age, said the young man, dost thou know the distance that is between thee and thy city? The sultan answered, Two days and a half. O sultan, replied the young man, If thou hast been asleep, awake. Between thee and thy city is a distance of a year's journey to him who traveleth with diligence, and thou camest in two days and a half only because the city was enchanted. But, O Sultan, I will never quit thee for the twinkling of an eye. The Sultan rejoiced at his words, and said, Praise be to Allah, who hath in his beneficence given thee to me. Thou art my son. For during my whole life 
I have never been blessed with a son. And they embraced each other and rejoiced exceedingly. They then went together to the palace where the sultan who had been enchanted informed the officers of his court that he was about to perform the holy pilgrimage. So they prepared for him everything that he required and he departed with the sultan, his heart beating with reflections upon his city because he had been deprived of the sight of it for the space of a year. He set forth accompanied by fifty Mamluks and provided with presents, and they continued their journey night and day for a whole year, after which they drew near to the city of the Sultan, and the vizier and the troops, who had lost all hope of his return, came forth to meet him. The troops approaching him kissed the ground before him and congratulated him on his safe return, and he entered the city and sat upon the throne. He then acquainted the vizier with all that had happened to the young king, on hearing which the vizier congratulated the latter also on his safety, and when all things were restored to order, the sultan bestowed presents upon a number of his subjects, and said to the vizier, Bring me the fisherman who presented to me the fish. So he sent to this fisherman, who had been the cause of the restoration of the inhabitants of the enchanted city, and brought him, and the sultan invested him with a dress of honor, and inquired of him respecting his circumstances, and whether he had any children. The fisherman informed him that he had a son and two daughters, and the sultan, on hearing this, took as his wife one of the daughters, and the young prince married the other. The sultan also confirmed upon the son the office of treasurer. He then sent the vizier to the city of the young prince, the capital of the Black Islands, and invested him with its sovereignty, dispatching with him the fifty Mamluks who had accompanied him hence with numerous robes of honors to all the emirs. And the vizier kissed his hand and set forth on his journey while the sultan and the young prince remained. As to the fisherman, he became the wealthiest of the people of his age, and his daughters continued to be wives of the sultans until they died. But this, said Sherazad, is no more wonderful than what happened to the porter. The story of the porter and the ladies of Baghdad and of the three royal Sufis. There was a man of the city of Baghdad who was unmarried, and he was a porter, and one day, as he sat in the market reclining against his crate, there accosted him a female wrapped in an izhar of the manufacture of al-Musil, composed of gold-embroidered silk, with a border of gold lace at each end, who raised her face veil and displayed beneath it a pair of black eyes, with lids bordered by long lashes, exhibiting a tender expression and features of perfect beauty. And she said with a sweet voice, Bring thy crate and follow me. The porter had scarcely heard her words when he took up his crate, and he followed her until she stopped at the door of a house and knocked, whereupon there came down to her a Christian, and she gave him a piece of gold, and received for it a quantity of olives, 
and two large vessels of wine, which he placed in the crate, saying to the porter, Take it up and follow me. Porter exclaimed, This is indeed a fortunate day, and he took up the crate and followed her. She next stopped at the shop of a fruiter and brought of him Syrian apples and Othmani quinces and peaches of Oman and jasmines of Aleppo and water lilies of Damascus and cucumbers of the Nile and Egyptian limes and sultani citrons sweet-scented myrtle and sprigs of the henna tree and chamomile and anemones prevet flowers red anemones and violets and pomegranate flowers and eglantine all of these she put into the porter's crate and said to him take it up so he took it up and followed her until she stopped at the shop of a butcher to whom she said cut off ten pounds of meat and he cut it off for her and she wrapped it in a leaf of a banana tree and put it in the crate and said again take it up o porter he picked up the basket and followed her to the grocer's from whom she bought pistachio kernels for making a dessert dihama raisins and shelled almonds she next stopped at the shop of a seller of dry fruits this time she brought a bowl and filled it with all that he had sugar cakes doughnuts stuffed with musk soap cakes lemon tarts maimuni tarts zainab's combs sugar fingers and kadi's snacks and desired the porter to take up his burden having obeyed he followed her until she stopped at the shop of a confectioner where she brought a dish and filled it with sweets of every kind he had which she put into the crate whereupon the porter ventured to say if thou hast informed me beforehand i had brought with me a mule to carry all these things the lady smiled at his remark and gave him a cuff on the back of the neck hurry up she said don't talk so much and you will get your reward if allah wills it and next stopped at the shop of a perfumer of whom she brought ten kinds of scented waters rose water and orange flower water and willow flower water together with some sugar and a sprinkling bottle of rose water infused with musk and some frankincense and aloes wood and ambergris and musk and wax candles and placing all these in the crate she said take up thy crate and follow me he therefore took it up and followed her until she came to a handsome house before which was a spacious court it was a lofty structure with a door of two leaves composed of ebony overlaid with plates of red gold the young lady stopped at this door and knocked gently whereupon both its leaves were opened and the porter looking to see who opened it found it to be a damsel of tall stature high bosomed fair and beautiful and of elegant form with a forehead like the bright new moon eyes like those of gazelles eyebrows like the new moon of ramadan cheeks resembling anemones and a mouth like the seal of suleiman coral red lips teeth like chamomile blossoms or pearls on a string and a gazelle-like neck her bosom 
was like an ornate fountain with breasts like twin pomegranates. She had an elegant belly and a navel that could contain an ounce of ungrunt. She was, as the poet described, look at the sun and the moons of the palaces, at the jewels in her nose, and at her flowerly splendor. Your eye has not seen white on black, united in beauty as in her face and in her hair. She is rosy-cheeked. Beauty proclaims her name, even if you are not fortunate enough to know of her. She swayed, and I laughed in wonder at her haunches, but her waist prompted my tears. Her countenance was like the full moon in its splendor. When the porter beheld her, she captivated his reason. The crate nearly fell from his head, and he exclaimed, Never in my life have I seen a more fortunate day than this. The lady portress, standing within the door, said to the cateress and the porter, Ye are welcome, and as they entered, and proceeded to a spacious saloon, decorated with various colors, and beautifully constructed with carved woodwork, and fountains, and benches of different kinds, and closets with curtains hanging before them. There was also in it, at the upper end, a couch of alabaster inlaid with large pearls and jewels, and a mosquito curtain of red satin suspended over it, and within this was a young lady with eyes possessing the enchantment of Babel, and a figure like the letter Aleph, with a face that put to shame the shining sun. Her breath had the scent of ambergris. Her lips were carnelian red, sweet as sugar, and her face would shame the light of the radiant sun. She was like one of the stars of heaven, a golden dome, an unwailed bride, or a noble Bedouin lady. She was like one of the brilliant planets, or rather, one of the most high-born of the maidens of Arabia. It was, as the poets have described, it is as though she smiles to show stringed pearls, hailstones or flowers of chamomile. The locks of her hair hang black as night, while her beauty shames the light of dawn. This third lady, rising from the couch, advanced with a slow and elegant gait to the middle of the saloon, where her sisters were standing, and said to them, Why stand ye still? Lift down the burdens from the head of this poor porter, whereupon the cateress placed herself before him, and the portress behind him, and the third lady assisting them. They lifted it down from his head. They then took the contents of the crate, and having put everything in its place, gave the porter two pieces of gold, saying to him, Depart, O porter. The porter, however, stood looking at the ladies, and admiring their beauty, and their agreeable dispositions, for he had never seen any more handsome. And when he observed that they had not a man among them, and gazed upon the wine, and fruits, and sweet-scented flowers, which were there, he was full of astonishment, and hesitated to go out. Upon which one of the ladies said to him, Why dost thou not go? Dost thou deem thy hire too little? Then turning to one of her sisters, she said to her, Give him another piece of gold. 
By Allah, O my mistress, exclaimed the porter, my hire is but two half dirhams, and I thought not what ye have given me too little, but my heart and my mind were occupied with reflections upon you and your state, ye being alone, with no man among you, not one to amuse you with his company, for ye know that the minare standeth not firmly, but on four walls. Now ye would have not a fourth, and the pleasure of women is not complete without men. Ye are three only, and have need of a fourth, who should be a man, a person of sense, discreet, acute, and a concealer of secrets. We are maidens, they replied, and fear to impart our secret to him who will not keep it. For we have read in a certain history this verse, Guard thy secret from another, entrust it not, for he who entrusteth a secret has lost it. They also said, We have read in an account what the poet Ibn al-Thumam once said, Guard your secret as you can, entrusting it to none, for if you do, you will have let it go. If your own breast cannot contain your secret, how is it to be held by someone else? And Abu Nawaz said, Whoever lets the people know his secret deserves a brand imprinted on his forehead. By your existence, said the porter, I am a man of sense and trustworthy. I have read various books and perused history. I make known what is fair and conceal what is foul and act in accordance with the saying of the poet. None keepeth a secret but a faithful person. With the best of mankind it remaineth concealed. A secret is with me as in a house with a lock whose key is lost and whose door is sealed. And, as the poet says, only the trustworthy can keep a secret, and it is with the good that secrets are concealed. With me they are kept locked inside a room, whose keys are lost and whose door has been sealed. When the ladies heard the verses which he quoted, and the words which he addressed them, they said to him, Thou knowest that we have expended here a considerable sum of money. Hast thou then wherewith to requite us? We will not suffer thee to remain with us unless thou contribute a sum of money, for thou desirest to sit with us, and to be our cup companion, and to gaze upon our beautiful faces. If friendship is without money, said the mistress of the house, it is not equivalent to the weight of a grain. Have you not heard what the author of the proverb said? Love without cash is worthless. And the portress added, My dear, if you have something, you are someone. If thou hast nothing, depart with nothing. But the caterer said, O sister, let us suffer him, for warily he hath not been deficient in his services for us this day. Another had not been so patient with us. Whatever therefore falls to his share of the expense, I will defray for him. At this the porter rejoiced and exclaimed, by Allah, I obtained my first and only pay this day from none but thee. And other ladies said to him, Sit down, thou art welcome. The cateress then rose, and having tightened her girdle, arranged the bottles, and strained the wine, and prepared the tables by the pool of the fountain. She set green herbs beside the wine jar, 
She made ready all that they required, brought the wine, and sat down with her sisters, the porter also sitting with them, thinking he was in a dream. And when they seated themselves, and the caterers took a jar of wine and filled the first cup and drank it, she then filled another and handed it to one of her sisters, and in a like manner she did to her other sister, after which she filled again and handed a cup to the porter, who, having taken it from her hand, repeated this verse, I will drink the wine and enjoy health, for verily this beverage is a remedy for disease. The porter took the cup in his hand, bowed, thanked her, and recited, Wine should be drunk beside a trusted friend, one of pure birth from the line of old heroes. For wine is like the wind, sweet if it passes scented flowers, but stinking if it blows over a corpse. Then he added, take wine only from a fawn, subtle in meaning when she speaks to you, resembling the wine itself. After he recited these lines, he kissed the hand of each of the girls. Then he drank until he became tipsy after which he swayed and recited, The only blood we are allowed to drink is blood that comes from grapes. So pour this out for me, and may my life and all I have, both new and old, serve to ransom your gazelle-like eyes. Then the housekeeper took the cup, filled it, and gave it to the doorkeeper, who took it from him with thanks and drank it. She then filled it for the lady of the house, before pouring another cup and passing it to the porter, who kissed the ground in front of her, thanked her, and recited, Fetch wine, by Allah, bring me the brimming glass, pour it for me, this is the water of life. He then went up to the mistress of the house, and said, Lady, I am your slave, your mamluk, and your servant. He recited, By the door there stands a slave of yours, acknowledging your kindly charity. May he come in, fair one, to see your loveliness. I swear by love itself I cannot leave. She replied, Enjoy yourself, drink with pleasure, and the well-being that follows the path of health. He then took the cup, kissed her hand, and chanted, I gave her old wine, colored like her cheeks, unmixed and gleaming like a fiery brand. She kissed it and said laughingly, How can you pour us people's cheeks? I said, Drink, this comes from my tears. Its redness is my blood. My breath has heated it within the glass. She replied with a line, Companion, if you have wept blood for me, pour it obediently for me to drink. She then took the cup, drank it, and sat down with her sister. They continued to drink, with the porter seated between them. As they drank, they danced, laughed, and sang, reciting poems and lyrics. The porter began to play with them, kissing, biting, rubbing, feeling, touching, and taking liberties. One of them would give him morsels to eat, another would cuff him and slap him, and the third would bring him scented flowers. With them he was enjoying the pleasantest of times, as though he was seated among the houris of paradise. The wine continued to circulate among them, 
and a porter taking his part in the revels, dancing and singing with them, and enjoying the fragrant odors, began to hug and kiss them, while one slapped him and another pulled him, and a third beat him with sweet-scented flowers, till at length the wine made sport with their reason, and they threw off all restraint, indulging their merriment with as much freedom as if no man had been present. They went on this way until the wine had taken its effect on their heads and their brains. When it had gotten the upper hand of them, the doorkeeper stood up, stripped off her clothes until she was naked, and letting her hair down as a whale, she jumped into the pool. She sported in the water, ducking her head, and then spitting out the water, after which she took some in her mouth and spat it over the porter. She washed her limbs and between her thighs, after which she came out from the water and threw herself down on his lap. My master, my darling, what is the name of this? She said, pointing to her private area. Your womb, he replied. Oh, she said, have you no shame? And she seized him by the neck and started to cuff him. She cuffed him again on the back of his neck, saying, Oh, oh, how disgusting, your vagina, he said. And she cuffed him on the back of his neck, saying, Oh, oh, how disgusting, aren't you ashamed, your vulva, he replied. Do you feel no shame for your honor? And she struck him with a blow of her hands. Your hornet, he said, at which a lady of the house pounced on him and beat him, saying, Don't speak like that. Welcome to the vocabulary section for episode 5. In this episode, we encountered both terms and vocabulary. So let us start out with the terms. Magians, priests of the Zoroastrian religion. Hair cloth, stiff wiry fabrics, especially of horse hair or camel hair, used for upholstery or for stiffening in garments. Bosom a woman's chest. Al-Mosul. Mosul is a city in Iraq, long famous for its fine cloth. Fruiter, a retailer of fruit. Othmani, a large Muslim community found in South Asia. Myrtle, evergreen shrub which has glossy aromatic foliage and white flowers followed by purple black oval berries. Citrons, Fruit similar to lemons, but has less acid and peels that are thicker and more fragrant. Henna tree. Tree which are the sources of a reddish-brown dye known as henna. Chamomile. An aromatic European plant of the daisy family with white and yellow flowers. Anemones. Flowers of the buttercup family, typically bearing brightly colored flowers. Eglantine. European rose with hooked spines, sweet-scented leaves, and usually pink flowers. Frankincense. Aromatic gum resin obtained from an African tree and burned as incense. Aloes wood. Fragrant dark resinous wood used in incense perfume and small carvings. Ambergris. Waxy substance originates as a secretion in the intestines of the sperm whale. Musk. A strong smelling reddish brown substance which is secreted by the male musk deer, an important ingredient in perfumery. 
Babel, regarded as the fountainhead of the science of magic, which was taught there to mankind by two fallen angels named Harut and Marut, and are suspended by the feet in a great pit closed by a mass of rock. Minaret or Minare, a tall slender tower, typically part of a mosque with a balcony from which a muezzin calls Muslims to prayer. Girdle, a belt or cord worn around the waist, or a woman's elasticized corset extending from waist to thigh. Ibn al-Thuman, died 828 CE, was a theologian during the era of the Abbasid Caliphate. Abu Nawas, Abu Nawas al-Hassan ibn Hani, ibn Hani, died 755 to circa 813 CE, was a famous or notorious poet of the Abbasid period, best known for his poems devoted to love, wine, and hunting. Carnelian, a semi-precious stone consisting of an orange or orange-red variety of chalcedony. Ungrint, a soft, greasy, or vicocious substance used as ointment or for lubrication. Previat flowers, also known as the wax leaf previat, eight inch long clusters of pure white flowers in spring. Tihama refers to the coastal plains of the Arabian Peninsula from the Gulf of Aqaba to Bab al Mandeb. Sugar cake, made with grated coconut, sugar, and food coloring. Soap cakes, detergent cake for laundry cleaning generally meant for hand washing of all washable fabrics and clothes. Kadi snacks, leavened dough fried in oil and then flavored with orange blossom water. Izhar, voluminous outer garment of Muslim women that covers the whole body. Vocabulary, affinity, a spontaneous or natural liking or sympathy for someone or something. Fellowship, friendly association, especially with people who are one's interest. While, morally bad or wicked. Swoon, faint from extreme emotion. Imploreth, beg someone earnestly or desperately to do something. Tormentist, to afflict with great bodily or mental suffering pain. Commencement, a beginning or a start. Imprecate, to invoke evil on. Twain, archaic term for two. Beneficence, the quality or state of doing or producing good. Concealer, one that prevents disclosure or recognition of. Defray, provide money to pay a cost or expense. Provision, the act of providing or supplying something for use. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.